Is that the name of your dog, Pumpui? Pum Pumpui, yes. Her name Pum is Pumpui. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and in Thai language, it means basically little fat one. <laughs> or chubby. That's the kind chubby. of word that it is. To where fat in an ugly way is Uwen. So it's a playful or, or kind way of talk about overweight dogs. <laughs> and she was a little ball when she was born. I mean, very young when we got her. And so I named her Poon Pui. <laughs> I like that yeah. name. Uh, so uh, you were saying that first off you were doing the fast. And then you begin to, <clears throat> at least recently, look at what do you want out of it? What are the expectations? What will be the failures, et cetera, like that? And also, what are the fears? Because yeah. just the idea and, and the beginning of the practice of a fast is going to bring up a lot of stuff, especially if it's the first time that you've done it. It is the first time. That's true. Okay, so uh, unknown territory is the label that comes with that fear. It comes out of the territorial instinct. Oh, you're not supposed to go out of your territory and experiment with something new. It might be dangerous. No. Without even considering the actual possibilities, or there's orcs there, and there's whizzies over there. So I need to stay away from the walks and the whizzies, but I don't know what's over there. I better stay away from that too, you see. That's the mentality that we have. Oh. Okay, so enough with the uh, 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 instinctual-based fears. So what, what's next on our list of fast? Uh, sorry, I don't, I don't understand what you're getting at. Oh, you were talking about, okay, so this is what we're going to be looking for. So back to that point about an, a different way of looking is that uh, there's, a, there's a, an okay corral or four quadrants, right. top and bottom, left and right. And yeah. this this is um, uh, used often in psychology. Eric Byrne did the first one in the I'm okay, you're okay. So let's not go into that, but rather look at it from this position. And that is, is there is the question of whether you're going to do it or not. Are you going to do the fast or you're not going to do the fast? Okay. <clears throat> which is basically the possibility then of the benefits and the drawbacks have to be put into that question of is it or is it not? Okay, so that's going to be the left and the right. Now let's look at the bottom and the top. And the bottom part is, is that I don't like it, I'm afraid. And the top is, hey, I can do that. Okay, so it's your attitude change. Yeah. All right, so this actually is the, the point of the teachings of the Buddha, is what you do is irrelevant, is how you feel about it. Are you going to be in a state of disappointment and dissatisfaction and dukkha, 
or you're going to be in a state of satisfaction whether you do the fast or not. No. That's the trick that most of us keep missing because we keep back up to that level of is it wholesome or is it unwholesome? Should I do it or should I not do it? Rather than looking at the underlying feelings of what do I want? What am I afraid yeah. of? And how do I feel? And mostly we wind up feeling the way that we're in the habit of feeling. In the sense, if you do the uh, the past, you'll, you'll do it because you should do it, because you figured out that it's the right thing to do. And out of that figuring and cogitation comes a rule, and now you've got to do the fast when there's still a part of you that doesn't want to do the fast. Well, actually, um, as soon as I read into it, I was like, okay, I'm just going to try it. Okay. And uh, I've, I've not had any fear or doubt about that decision. But oh, well, you brought that up. So that's the reason that I harped on that word is because you you mentioned it. Ah, OK, no, it was it was more like uh, it was very uh, interesting to see myself. Uh, to see the whole process of deciding to do it anyway, because I could see that the whole process was rooted in resisting. Uh, yeah, in resisting what already is. <laughs> um, and now I'm, I'm kind of like taking it as an opportunity uh, to be satisfied in the whole process. So I did some meditation today and I could feel the hunger and the lightheadedness and, uh, and the fears of, uh, of the uncertain outcome. So I decided to uh, yeah, just have fun with it and uh, yeah. Yeah, that lightheadedness. Yeah, do, do, Weakness and lightheadedness or lethargy go together with it. But yes, there is an element of lightheadedness, and a lot of people become afraid of that. Yeah. They, get, they begin to see or, or perceive, rather, reality differently than they did before. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's only my second day, so I'll, I'll see uh, how it develops. But I read into it quite well, so I've got all my salts, electrolytes. I've got that ready. Mm -hmm. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah so, uh, <clears throat> in the old days, they would just, talk about it being salt. All of those electrolytes and all of that is normally in salt, but don't take too much of it. Yeah. That way, if yeah. you've got it already refined, then that's the easiest way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I've got some supplements, so that will be all right. Okay. But don't plan on doing a lot of walking or traveling, because you won't oh, have no. effort to your energy to do that much. Yeah. Like, don't yeah, go luckily, to the mall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, the, the mall would be the worst place to be. Luckily, I don't have to walk to the canteen also for the next uh, 10 days. <laughs> so uh, it will be very, very easy for me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the steps of Anapan. Uh, oh, wait. 
the, the okay uh, yes we were going to be the, doing the, some stepping around <laughs> in fact we'd already been stepping around or yeah. no not stepping staging around that was staging it. around that was it <laughs> so uh how do you call it again it's the, the four tetriads right that's how you describe it uh i have heard that word used but the four foundations are the exact same thing as the four yeah. tetrads except that each of the four have a four in it and uh as far as i know the word tet has to do more with the number three than it does the number four oh, that's which interesting is quite right. pardon yeah. uh, it's interesting yeah that's what i associated as well with three instead of four mm -hmm. so i don't know what they mean by the t uh, tetrad yeah but i do know that each of the four uh aspects uh is actually the four foundations of mindfulness which is um satipatthana representing the body the feelings the mind and the mind's objects so this actually is something that was already in existence, just like the eight excuse me, the Four Noble Truths, which comes out of Ayurvedic medicine. The Buddha borrowed from a lot of different places in order to, to teach in language that people could understand. Yeah. If you pulled it out of thin air, it wouldn't make any sense to most people. <laughs> okay, so this is where we can see that in fact, these four foundations are actually have the root in the four foundations of reality, which we would call things that are elemental, very basic things. And it, even in science, we use temperature as our guide for that based upon the various elements. So some at a particular temperature, some elements will be solid maybe rock solid, maybe rock, maybe earth. And then there are ranges of temperatures where things are a liquid, like water that moves and flows and is up and down and washes and has tides and is pulled by gravity and suns and moons and all of that kind of stuff. And it's kind of wishy-washy all in there. Mm -hmm. And then there is the next one, which is the big surprise, and that is the fire. That things are on fire. That lightning strikes and trees burn down and the sun shines in the daytime. And so there is fire. This is an element. And then there is the result of, of that fire. So. If you think about it very quickly as a pot-bellied stove that's got the wood in it that's going to be consumed, all you need now is the fire, and you put the fire into the wood with the kindling and all of that, and it starts to burn, and the result of that is heat and smoke. And that's basically the results of all human effort is heat and smoke. Right. 
And the smoke comes out the nostrils and the heat comes out the ears. I've seen those uh, cartoons. <laughs> Mostly, though, it all comes out of the mouth in, in the form of speech. Most speech we have is complaining. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's very true. <laughs> Especially in Holland. Like, uh, when I went to Brazil for a few months, then uh, people didn't complain that much. And then I came back to Holland, and the weather was cold, and uh, the country was in lockdown, and uh, everything was bad. <laughs> mm -hmm. And yeah. so, well, when they think, when they think the thought everything is bad, then they're talking themselves into feeling bad. It's like knowing that we've um, uh, swallowed a poison. Those those thoughts are poisonous, and they and they poison our body, and they poison our feelings. So it's better to take good medicine thoughts, like everything's okay, everything is fine. No worries, nothing needs to be fixed. We'll survive. Then we can take it easy. But if things are bad and wrong, that means we've got to hop two, three, four, we gotta work. Yeah. All right. So this is the style that we get into, and then we get into that habit, and the whole quality of uh, Anapanasati is to reverse that process. Just the counter to dependent origination. Mm -hmm. oh. Well, according to the, the uh, let us say how fast we pick up is then uh, the the path of well here I am in anger where did that come from well here I am in fear where did that come from well here no. uh, I'm I'm clinging to something where did that come from all the liking of it where did that come from oh this is my idea of it oh where did that come from oh well I put that together from the past or some of the stuff that I've heard recently Okay, well, what is it that actually ticked you off? What was the actual words that were used in the first place? Okay, so I just marched Paticca Samupada right back down to the very original things that happened. And the question yeah. is, is not that we can figure out those steps backwards, but that it, when we're in the process, we can see it. Oh, I can catch it right there. And I see it right now. And then I can say, oh, I can see it here. And now I can see it there. Because we're getting really quick at it. Okay. Yeah. But that's what we're going to be doing after we get the mind fit for work. That's the work we're going to do is to figure out how our own mind works in the way of getting us into states that we really don't want to be in. It keeps us in the kind of places we prefer to be in. Yeah. Because we actually are in charge of our own body. We just need to actually take driver's lessons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <that's, that's> <laughs> <clears throat> because, 
because we keep forgetting that the break is over here, not over there. Well, it's quite interesting because sometimes uh, meditation feels a bit like uh, driving a car in that you have to be, you have to remember what you have to do and all the various things that you can do, mm -hmm. like uh, the, the the blinkers and the, well, in America you drive automatics, but in, in, in Europe, most of us drive manual. So the manual and then the switching gear and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And just repeating it over and over and it all becomes automatic. Until it becomes first, automatic and then we don't pay yeah. so much attention and then things get dangerous. And we and we start yeah. thinking that the rules are going to protect us. And so the example is, is that, oh, officer, the rules say it's not my fault that I ran into the back of that car. I mean, I didn't see his taillight signals, whether they were on or not. Okay. No. <laughs> Instead of recognizing, dummy, I'm not watching where I'm going. <laughs> the car is there, and I'm talking about a little light on the car that's this big. <laughs> okay, so this is also part of the whole idea is, is that we don't like being seen as breaking our own rules. Because we have two sets of rules, actually. We have the rules that we kind of keep for ourselves up and down. And then there are the rules that we have for everybody else. The ones that we've already decided that it, these rules are not for me because I can't keep them. And so I'm saving <laughs> for other people, hand-me-downs. <laughs> and other people should do it, but I'm not obliged to do it. Right, exactly. That's what religions actually are based upon, is that kind of hypocrisy. Yeah. So, uh, in, within then the teachings of the Buddha, we need to see that the actual wrongdoings that we actually do need to be seen for what they are so that we can make improvements and that we have a criteria now for what is the wrongdoing, and that is dukkha, dukkha naroda. If everybody's satisfied, if everybody's in a win-win situation, then that's it. And if anybody is dissatisfied, then there is dukkha there, and that's it. <laughs> so, in that regard, we then are going to go on a fast or not go on a fast, and also have the choice, am I going to feel good about it or not? Yeah. And if I do it because I should do it, because there's benefits out of it, then I got to monitor to make sure I'm getting the benefits out of it. And here we go down that rat hole of judgment and, and unsure and all of that. So if you take yeah. the past and play with it and enjoy it and see it for what it is and let it teach you rather than you guiding it, I think we'll do okay that way. Yeah. <laughs> That sounds like a good plan. So let's get back then to the Anapanasati about the four foundations of mindfulness, because that rock solid then is the physical body. And in fact, it changes the slowest. One of the important qualities about the body is, is that is one of the foundations that we cling to as I, me, or mine. 
And yet the teachings, uh, this is a quotation from Bhikkhu Buddhadasa that's quite uh, famous within those circles. Nothing is worth clinging to as I, me, or mine. What's the point? You, if you cling to the body, you're going to be disappointed because you can't really control it. It's going to get old, you know. Sometimes we want it to be 18 and sometimes we want to be 93. And, you know, it depends upon who and what we're jealous of at the moment. And we keep wanting to move the body back and forth to where the body is going to go old just the way that it does. Jesus even yeah. knew about that when he said yeah. uh, that uh, you can't change your stature even one inch. Now, there's a whole lot of high heels, but that doesn't change the stature of a person. It changes the stature of the person plus the high heels. (laughs) (laughs) So we can't change the body. And look what industries we have that are devoted to people who think that they are the body. Look at all of that. How about the cosmetic industry? How about the fashion industry? In fact, how about most of the clothing that we have? Okay, how about all of the weightlifting in the gyms and how about the sports? How about medicine and hospitals and all of that? You can see now that the body is pretty important to people. Because oh, almost all the that. industries there are is devoted to people trying to take care of their body. I've done, I've done all those things you mentioned, so I know all about it. And so that's one of that, the foundations. And instead of owning it and controlling it, the real job that we need to do is to relax it and let it rest rather than working it too much. And so that's Anapanasati, and those are the four steps of Anapanasati, is learn to control your breathing uh, long and slow when it's relaxed. But when you need the oxygen, you do it quickly, but you do it methodically and pump yourself up. But the important point is the first and second one now is different than the third and the fourth. The first and the second we can learn to do the first time we do it. The third and the fourth are actually skills that are to be developed. And yeah, so they and come we, later. The, those are like the, the investigation of uh, the three characteristics, right? Of like impairments and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. To know or investigate the body is step yeah. three of Anapanasati. And we do that while we're breathing in long and breathing out long. Okay, where are the discomforts? Are you okay? Are you comfortable? What do you need? Okay, so take a look. Where's the tension? Where's the anxiety? Where's the fear? Where is the, uh, where is that hunger that comes from the fasting? What is the body's messages? So pay close attention to what the body has to say about the fasting. Well, that's, that's that's very easy. That's the lightheadedness and the raising heart. And, okay. Uh, yeah. And and the and the quality about taking it easy to relax, let all the tensions go because tensions actually take energy that you're not consuming through food now. 
So just relax. That's the whole quality. Can you relax enough to do the fast? Because it's going to be the tensions and anxieties of the therefore the worries that you'll give yourself that'll quit early. Yeah, and there's I've also read some. Um, uh, okay, you have a, a Bonte Villa. I can't even pronounce his name. Anyway, one of his students uh, was uh, telling a story about how he could rest in seven jhana for like uh, seven days without eating or drinking. And that would then be because of the relaxation, I guess, isn't it? It's possible that your body no. doesn't... Without making any questions, the actual <clears throat> point would be that, hey, when you feel that good, why quit now? Yeah. <laughs> Why not starve myself to death while I'm at it? I'm enjoying well, it. That thought doesn't come. That's not a thought that arises. True. That thought arises to the guy who's watching the guy sit there for days with nothing better to do than just enjoy <laughs> the fact that he can enjoy the fact. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So it's still a matter of your point of view or your attitude. It's got nothing to do with the past. It's got to do with your attitude about it. And so your attitude then needs to watch the body closely to be in harmony with that. So going now from the solid we have then the liquid which is the emotion in fact we've been talking about it all along about anapanasati and the sense of the body and then the feelings and then the mind or the fire and the and the actual fire that we're looking for uh has plenty of oxygen okay the fire that we're looking for is in fact uh to get things moving, this is why we would use probably excitement in this regard, but the actual word we're looking for is enthusiasm. That's that that's the gusto or the fire. That we need. That enthusiasm, that eagerness to go check this out, figure out what's going on. Because you're doing it from the position of a winner, that not only you're going to survive, but you're going to benefit greatly from this joyous new endeavor. And so, in this regard, we're using all of Anapanasati right here, but this is an example to wake up. And take a look at what kind of thoughts you have or what kind of feelings and what kind of experience you're having with the body. And look at those kind of thoughts and, and say, hey, is, is this taking me down or is this taking me up? My choice. Is this heavy or is this light? Is this a balloon full of hot air? Or is this a lead brick? <laughs> yeah. And so that's the way to have the fast do it through the Anapanasati in that Methodist uh, methodological. I don't want to use the word Methodist here. 
<laughs> so, uh, using the Buddha's method part of it in regards to the entire Satipatthana, because we are actually now, when we have a good, hot, roaring fire, we do get the heat without the smoke, or at least a whole lot less smoke. And so that's what we're looking for is to have a whole lot less smoke because smoke then interferes with everything else. The false thoughts would be that or the unwholesome thoughts and and things get smoky. And when they do, that burns our eyes and we can't see straight. And uh, ah, so what we do is we take the log out of the box to dry it. <laughs> so, so we can, so we can put a fire to a dry log that doesn't produce any smoke. Exactly so, right? We got to get all that wetness out of it, and then we don't produce any smoke. Ah. Aha! Uh -huh, yes, now that because that fits exactly in with the case of the log and the bog. That's the same analogy. Yeah. That in fact, what causes the the the, uh, the smoke? is the poor oxygenation and that water interferes with that greatly. It also keeps things at, uh, at a too low temperature rather than uh, a, a, a barely running or ember temperature versus a roaring fire kind of uh, temperature. So these analogies actually have value. Bhikkhu, uh, Tanisaro has written a book, uh, Mind Like Fire Unbound. It's an interesting book, and it comes to mind because that's what we're talking about, is this fire element is actually what we are doing is, is that we are creating. The mind is a blaze itself, and it's taking two ingredients, just like the fuel and the oxygen, what we take on is the fuel of the moment of the input and mix it with the past to come up with an understanding of the present moment. And there in the past is a whole lot of crap, smelly, wet. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is. And smoked up because of, uh, of its rotting quality. And so the better thing to do is to take more and more data so that the new data that we're taking in is mixed more with the immediate past data, like in the past six months or whatever like that. And so this is why we're going to really build up our timing of memory and past in a happy, wholesome way. We keep piling on wholesome, more wholesome on wholesome, even even on the city dump, if all the city dump gets is a big, thick layer of wholesome, that's going to be a whole lot easier then to deal with. And let that old stuff settle to the bottom where we don't do much mixing up anymore. Let the past be the past. Leave it alone. We got way too much toy of present moment to play with. And in the end, uh, the past 
just dissolves as it were right like all the emotional uh, associations with it mm -hmm. yes so the smoke that gets in our eyes is because we're mixing garbage in with our fuel <laughs> and the fuel is consciousness itself That's, by the way, the sutra someplace. <laughs> that, that that's one of the four nutriments, one of the, the four. And in this regard, this is the most important one. Is because you've got this present moment, you've got fuel here to burn. Are you going to burn it cleanly or are you going to mix your old garbage with it? Use this as an incinerator and wind up having a smoky environment. <laughs> yeah. So that's an interesting analogy. All we have to do is to burn this stuff cleanly and get a lot of energy out of it. The nutriment or the fuel for your life is consciousness. Breathing is another one. It's one of the fuels. Food is the third one. Well, I don't have that, so that's no problem for me. Well, uh, you're looking at it from a very short period of time. There will come a time when, uh, in fact, what you're saying is, is that you're relying upon the fuel that you've already stored in the body. Yeah, true. <laughs> but food is actually a nutriment. And to be honest with you, as an old man, I forgot the fourth one. I don't remember what it is. <laughs> but, but in this regard, we're looking at consciousness as the primary one. That's the fuel for the fire of the moment. The question is, are you going to use that fuel or are you going to mix it with some sort of past old cow pie that we've stored away? <laughs> I hadn't cleaned out yet. <laughs> Let's put in some high octane in the fuel. <laughs> yes, right. Being alive, taking a deep breath, getting that tingly stuff. But in fact, this is a really good time when you're fasting because you're already lightheaded enough with the fasting. So go ahead and get the oxygen going and really burn that fuel off and really get empty of it and really go yeah. high. Make sure mine's sore. Hopefully it doesn't make it sore. Some sort of um, a mystical hangover, I guess. <laughs> yeah. uh, so well, actually, what I what I've been doing uh, since shortly, uh, someone recommended to me um, was uh, after my mind has wandered, I take a really deep breath and I try to really enjoy it. As an extra, extra aha moment. Uh -huh. I do aha and then I go. <sighs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's the whole idea. I do that on screen for students all the time, but most of them <laughs> kind of not looking. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, what else do we want to do with the uh, with Anapanasati with the four foundations of mindfulness because the, each four has four groups in it. 
And we've talked about the body with its four groups. Within the, um, the Vedana, within the, uh, the feeling formations, that we have to learn to control the feelings because they have been out of control and we can basically talk it in with reality plus nourishment into feeling satisfied and also to become to develop that feeling of being a winner that aha i can do this it's the uh the it's two things one it is now we do have what is referred to in our language is self-control. It doesn't need to have the word self, it's just control. You've got control over things. That's the first one, self-control. And then the next part of it is the self-congratulations or the knowledge that you can control it. That you're, on, you're the boss here, you're on top of this thing. That's the Samasankapa, and that's also the in the Anapanasati Sutta, step um, five and six, or the first two of um, the four stages of the Vedana. Okay, so that's <laughs> self-congratulation and the and the, and sorry, the congratulation and the control. And the control, the, the sukha and the pity. The sukha is the satisfaction, controlling your mind to the point that you're satisfied now. You are no longer stepping into dukkha. Right now, you have sukha. Right now, you have comfort. Right now, you have uh, safety and security. And you're satisfied with that. That, those are the four ingredients of sukha. That everything is okay. I don't care about a thing in the world. Nothing's going on. Everything is okay. That's the feeling. And when we develop that over and over and over again, we begin to say, hey, you can, I do that all the time. I can do that any time I remember to do this. Okay, so this is the way that we begin to think. Uh and those are just the first two stages of being able to control our feelings, to put them out of their misery into a satisfaction. That is, that, and when it's well practiced, it becomes a deep abiding satisfaction. That 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 concept of you know that you've got it is really part part of the built-in process that is labeled things like stream entry is built upon this firm knowledge that I can do this. That's part of the first stages of, of uh, the soda pond is the knowledge that we can do this. Removal of doubt, the, the feather of doubt. Pardon? Doubt. Oh, the, that you, uh, you have the feather of doubt, right? As a, right. Uh, well, that, this, is this is the third one, the doubt. The first one is uh, understanding that you can practice, that you're not fixed, you're not stuck, you are not a soul, you are not an oblig, uh, uh, you have no obligation to do the way that you were taught to do it. 
And you see uh, religions say you are under the uh, the thumb of some god. You got to bow to that god because he's much better and more powerful. He's your authority. And the whole quality that we have to learn here is that no, there either is no authority or I'm my own authority. Either one of those will do. But we see we grew up with in childhood by having some adult around who was the authority, mommy and then daddy and then the teachers and aunts and uncles. And next thing you know, we've got a God and off we go into wild misery land for the rest of until we wake up. That's the whole point. That's why that first sweater is there. And in for many Westerners, they've kind of already gotten into that You are over that. You can almost say that when people really get into Buddhism, they do so because they recognize that Buddhism may in fact be able to take them someplace if they apply. You got to get on the train, but then the train will choo-choo you right down the tracks. <laughs> okay, but you got to get on the train. And so right. that's the whole idea then, is everybody's sitting around most of the world, about 90% of the population are saying, hey, my train's going to come to me. God's going to bring me my train. No, we got to yeah. go to the station to get on the train. <laughs> Right. And where is the station? The station is the state of happiness, the state of being satisfied. That's the station that we're in. Okay, and then the rest of it happens in the sense that we now learn to control the feelings. And then we also start recognizing at a really deep level. And I talk to students about this, but I don't know quite what to say about it. But there is an interrelationship between the mind and the feelings and the feelings and the body. The formations are dependent. And that's step. Uh, step Wait, eight. between the mind and the body. And yes, and the and the, uh, between actually the between the mind and the body are the feelings that we communicate to the body through feelings like uh, sensations, itches, all of that kind of stuff. It's a communication uh, method. Right, right. Okay, so that's why it's in that order of body, feelings, and mind, is because the mind knows that's the fire, that's the consciousness. Right. But if the consciousness uh, is then being processed or the the uh, the fuel that we're getting through consciousness is not processed correctly, then our fire is not going to be a good fire. It's going to be lame. Smoky. Okay. And so this is the Salayatana with perception. So the perception would then be how does the fire burn or what kind of mixture of garbage and wet and all of that are we putting on the fire is because we're trying to make sense out of this how people Uh, dress we automatically uh, assume that we know all about people just because of the way that you're dressed so this making sense of it is then a bad thing Right, and uh, so uh, don't judge a book by its cover is exactly that expression that we're talking about is because why? Because first impressions 
are always about what our experience is, not what's happening in the present moment. That yeah. we got to open that book and look inside to recognize what's really there. So that that is then an aspect of the control freak, as it were, right? Well, that's the, actually the investigation part, is that we have to look and look and experience and look again to see what's going on. And that investigation is the actually the investigation of the mind, which now starts the uh, uh, the third quadrad of the mind. And the first item, number nine on the list, uh, not a stage, just on the list, because we can sort a list any way we want to. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah. so. Uh, uh, the next item on the list then is the investigation of the mind and specifically the mind states. Is the mind sharp? Is it dull? A, a way that we can put it as an analogy is, is that how's the vent on our fire stove? Is it getting enough air? That would be the way of looking at the mind. How hot is the fire? How exalted is the mind? Is the mind bright and shiny? Is it high? Is it tingly? Is it on the it high, uh, the faster's high? Is it on yeah. the, uh, the breather's high? What about both of them together high? What is this thing like? Let's go investigate. Let's go find out what's there. What can the mind do? When the mind is also drowsy, know that the, this is drowsiness. In fact, that's one of the issues that I find amusing is that there are many kinds of meditation practice where the students are intentionally becoming drowsy because they think that that's jhana. Yeah, yeah, like the, yeah, I know what you mean. Because it's a comfortable state. It's a very comfortable state, but it doesn't have a lot of oxygen. You're not really quite watching what's going on. We're just kind of there with it, expecting something to happen out of and control the, here we're in control we're doing this and we're watching the process as it happens we're playing with so it this i assume would have uh, two purposes first uh, it's, yeah the investigation so uh, it gives you the, the insight but it also helps you uh, stay aware of the breath because if you notice you are becoming dull um then you have you have like a warning that you might be losing your attention uh, mm -hmm. on the breath right exactly mm -hmm. so let's look at the second the step 10 then or the 10th item on the list which is the gladdening of the mind now we can think of the gladdening of the mind as it says wait a minute this fire is not burning too well, and, and the, uh, the, the fuel is not well consumed because it's dirty. Let's clean that stuff off. Let's get, no. to, you know, let's, let's get our fire and get it going again and, and put some clean fuel in there. So that would be the gladdening of the mind or the brightening of the mind is the basic purification of the fuel. Mm -hmm. Okay. And with that, then, comes the next two steps which are development. But the first thing that we do is to investigate, to look, 
to experience what kind of fire was going on here, all of that kind of stuff. And then we need to do some cleaning up. Get the things cleaned up, brighten the mind, throw the old uh, garbage out and let's use some good wholesome fuel. That's which will burn well. And so then the next two steps is referencing is, is that this gets the things going together. And this is what gets things rolling. So the going together then is the quality of the samadhi. And, and which is the unification of the mind and then the freedom of the mind. But letting go ah. of it all. So samadhi is basically a unification of mind. Mm -hmm. Samadhi means to unify the mind, to bring it all together, which also has to do with also the quality of the body and the feelings. All of this stuff comes together and then the liberation. Okay. And, uh, and samadhi is the, the, the sati and the samatha, right? Together. Yes. Okay. So if we've got the mind in that state, then based upon the fact that we've already intentionally indicated uh, the body at peace and comfortable. We've also mentioned the pity and the sukha, and we've also began to understand about the repetitive nature of this, the applied and sustained. And so Anapanasati actually is of uh, the first three uh, tetrads are designed to get the mind into the first jhana. And as we take it on the and as we develop the first jhana, that means that we keep collecting these things together. And that collecting together is called the applied part to keep applying, to keep putting things back together, to come out of the unwholesome and clean the fire and and uh, basically blow on it. <laughs> Let's yeah. get this thing going. All right. So. Uh, as we continue to do this, this reply, uh, we also want to sustain the fire. We want to apply to get it going again, and then we want it to roar all by itself to sustain. That even if we throw some dirty uh, lumber in there, it'll burn just fine because the fire's all hot enough and everything now. So. This means now that we've got a we've got a fire. That's what we're looking yeah. for. First jhana is energetic. First jhana is up. It is aha, got it kind of feeling. <laughs> okay. And so with that first jhana, then we take various objects. Well, what are the objects we're going to take are actually quite closely associated with the Paticca Samapada. And as we take various aspects of Paticca Samapada as objects, guess what? We go through the various jhanas because the jhanas themselves are talking about the various aspects. And when we get into the fourth jhana, that's where we can really start piddling with this perception. How do we clean the logs? How can we avoid getting the, uh, the goop on the logs in the first place? That's the level of perception, and that's where uh, it gets um, very curious and very interesting. But you don't have to spend a lot of time there. You can just see that this is the end of it. Basically, when you stop, when you stop processing that input, then there's nothing left to feel about. 
you're just taking in raw data and you just keep taking in raw data without processing it. And so this is what they mean by uh, uh, neither perception nor non-perception and nothingness and consciousness and space, you know, those are the aspects of the fourth jhana. Okay, so we can see that, the hey, boundaryless. yeah, because <laughs> there's no boundaries there. Yeah. Why? Because the mind is sharp, it is focused, it's clear, and it can see the way that things are processed so that you can stay at the level of the scene is merely the scene. It's not processed into feelings and caring about it. So we can stay so at the level be... of shapes and forms and movement without having to uh, create a story around what we're seeing. It's Is the storytelling. The discerning mind that is stopping? Yes, the discernment is which uh, basically uh, which sand cars or how we're processing it. Uh, which is also part of the guarding of the eye door. If you don't look at it, you don't see it. Okay, so if you walk no. down the street right past a brothel, you may not ever know it because you didn't even bother to turn your head to see what kind of store <laughs> this was. <laughs> okay, so that's the guarding of the eye door to learn to figure out that we're only going to be looking at wholesome stuff. We're going to get some, we're going to be able to guard the eye door in the sense of we're going to only give good fuel to our consciousness. We're only going to be looking at good wholesome fuel. Never mind the crap that we add to it, let's get the very best high quality fuel going too. So this is a very good analogy. Haven't done it at, at quite this detail before. I've, I've had the analogy for a while, but uh, today we're looking at it, uh, it, it. I mean, we're just pushing this analogy as far as it'll go. <laughs> uh, have you have you ever made the connection between the log and the bog and the fuel you are? Yes, that's what we're the... talking about here, right? We got to dry that log out. We got to get the juice yeah. out of it so that it'll burn correctly. <laughs> so that we can see yeah. well without having all that smoke get in our eyes. In the in the pot bellied stove. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's yeah, the yeah. same analogy. <laughs> it's it's not a it's not a good word for me to use at the time, a pot bellied stove, because it makes me think of the pork bellied stuff the whole time. I just get really hungry. <laughs> oh, I never heard it called a pork bell. We call it a pot bellied <laughs> stove. But that's yeah, have it. you ever had pork belly? Uh, maybe. I'm not sure. I don't remember. It, Actually, it wasn't a, something a, that we had often. It would have been under a special condition. Yeah. So actually, uh, as a as a side question, uh, are you a vegetarian now? Since uh, your wife provides you with food. Uh, I eat food. You eat food. That's what I was thinking. You 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 don't bother controlling the process. I do not buy or control the the process. You just eat it's... what comes on your plate. 
basically is. And when she asks, I keep okay. saying, I don't know. What do you got? And then she says, how about <laughs> this or that? And I'll always take the first thing that she says. <laughs> I was thinking how it would be to go to a restaurant with you and how you would order something. You would probably say. I'd probably eat food off thing. the floor. I would come and lick people's hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just give me just give me all the all the leftovers. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> bring my own pot. Okay. <laughs> bring bring your own uh, pot belly stove uh. and your log out of the box. <laughs> okay, so, so uh, go ahead. Yeah. The we've talked about all the steps from the fourth step all the way till the end. Well, I suppose that was the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have well, two questions. Well, actually, the last end of it is to see that everything is temporary. But we have to do that with this wide open, wise, easily to be able to see reality as it is kind of mind state. And then we begin to look at everything's in a cycle. Everything gets started and then it ends. It's just a rolling cycle. There is nothing there but samsara. Arising and passing, arising, arising and, passing. and passing away, and everything keeps going that way. And we got start getting a big kick out of just watching the show. And then the uh, last stage yeah. that we get to, so the uh, the nature, and then the fading away, and then the secession, and then the relinquishment. What is relinquishment here? Is stop caring about stuff which is what I'm talking about to students all the time. I'm actually just short-circuiting the whole time and going right to step 16 of Anapanasati because that's what it's all about. The last point is, is just don't care anymore. <laughs> don't care about the past anymore. Then you could really play with it as a toy because you don't care. Yeah, uh, I'm building up to it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> But sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. Sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. This cycle of samsara is what we're talking about, and that's what we look for in the sutta uh, Anapanasati is worded the way that it is, because that's the ancient language. That's the way that people saw it. The arising and passing away, the arising and passing away. Anything, that bur anything that's born, it dies. So if selfishness arises in you, it's going to die. It's going to be shot down in flames. <laughs> and what I what I don't understand is how is this different from what the masters uh, before the Buddha de did? Because they also got to the went through all the jhanas. Is it well? That's the, the whole point that the Buddha went through all the jhanas too that the jhana stuff is not enough. So it's basically... No, it's not nearly enough. It's not even necessary. Hey, if you can sit and keep one wholesome thought after another after another without having to do much of anything, except just watch the show. Because that's what it's really all about anyway. These labels don't yeah. mean that much. What we really need to do is just kind of let go of it all. Yeah. Sit back on Grandpa's porch and rock in the rocker with him and just pass the day. <laughs> 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 oh, 
that that sounds all right. I, I would like I would like that. Oh, there I go again. There I go again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. When you're already yeah. in that state, if you let yourself <laughs> be that in that state, I'm just describing a particular way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You no, just I, I stop caring, relinquish, let it all go. Stop yeah. caring is the main thing. Stop clinging to this stuff. Because what that means is, is that we get stuck on a particular place in the cycle. And so as the cycle keeps going around, every time it goes around, we like it and then we don't like it and we like it and we don't like it. And this time it wins and this time it loses. And here we are just all shook up. Yeah, all know, of these cycles. And when we step back and we see all of these cycles, we can say, ha, I see that. And by seeing it, I can let it go. But we need to have the mind in really, really good, sharp state in order to see this correctly. Uh, it's actually interesting because um, I feel like uh, I'm halfway there, but then in the wrong direction. Because I realized that no matter what I do, I'm going to feel like shit anyway. Uh, so I might as well not care about it. Right. So why not just enjoy feeling like shit? <laughs> Make friends with it. Find out how how bad can it get? Yeah. Like when I go to a restaurant now, before I would always think like half an hour about what I'm going to choose because I have to choose the correct thing. Now I just... Uh, order the, the first thing on the menu or actually not the first thing on the menu but uh, the first thing that comes to mind in the in the in the server how do you call that the waitress or waiter and then I feel actually much happier because every time it's a big surprise and I don't have to worry about what I'm gonna get so uh, well Actually, when you're telling me that, it reminds me of a story where traveling with a group of monks in the U.S., uh, we, we saw the billboard signs and all decided to go to this particular restaurant, which was a buffet. Oh. And, and that all the monks, except for one, then went and got into line, but one of the old monks went and sat down. <laughs> and he was doing it correctly. We should have all done that, but he was the only one that did it correctly. And so the first thing I did was figure out what I was going to take to him. And I got it off of the buffet line and took it to him, which is exactly what I should have done. Yeah. And then I got back and went and got some buffet for myself. And in fact, as the junior monk of the moment, <laughs> because I, I, I have been traveling with old dudes for a long time. <laughs> it would have been my job to have served them all. But uh, the other two went and got into line, too. So that's just uh, uh, the, the point here is, is that when food becomes unimportant, when it's not important anymore. That this is part of the training for eating once a day. It's because you eat once a day because it's got its own benefit and then the body will get into that rhythm of eating once a day. Do you eat once a day? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Whenever okay. Tam serves, I eat when she serves, and she serves once a day. Make it easy on her. Uh, okay, okay. Sorry to interrupt your story, but I was just curious about that. No, that that that's the story. Is is that don't worry about food. It's not important. Achan Po even says that we learn to eat like a lion eats. Sometimes he has a feast, but then he may go three, four, five days without anything to eat at all. So there's that lion quality. I can handle that. I can handle a feast. And then I can handle not having a feast. (laughs) (laughs) And so eating once a day is in the spirit of that uh, teaching. There's actually, I've seen someone write a book about eating once a day that sold this, got the entire set of suttas that the Buddha had where the Buddha would recommend eating once a day for your welfare and happiness. Why? Because then you don't get hungry much. Well, I tried eating once a day, but I felt like I would get really hungry before breakfast. Well, yeah, but you didn't practice it long enough. Now you're doing a fast, you're getting used to it. So maybe when you start to fast, you'll start up by just eating once a day. Okay, as an experiment, I'm going to try to eat once a day after my fast ends. And then for how long should I do it to really try it? 21 days? Uh, 21 is good. 21 is good, but I would use years rather than days. (laughs) (laughs) Because after you do it 21 years, you'll get used to it by then. (laughs) Yeah. I figured I figured that much. <laughs> oh, yes. Fair enough. I'll, I'll try it. All right. So, Dan, well, let's finish this here. I think that we actually did cover the Anapanasati. Oh, uh, just uh, the the first uh, uh, one, two, three, and four. Uh, those steps we haven't covered. Step if what? We, step one till four. I don't think we've step one is, step one and two have a different verb than all of the others all of the others the verb is to train thus one trains oneself gladdening the mind while breathing in gladdening the mind while uh, mindfully breathing out thus one trains oneself okay so the first four then is the breathing in, breathing out, investigating the body, and pacifying or relaxing the body. So experiencing the body means to find out where all of the tensions, all the worries, all of the anxieties, all of the belly rubs, all of the navel gaze, everything about it in the body so that we can get the body in the state of just relaxing. So Get we the tensions to... out. A lot of students talk about headaches and neck aches and throbbing and all kinds of things like that. But with practice correctly about Apanasati, then we can reduce that tension that's in the neck, come out of our anxieties and angers and whatnot that, that make us tense and uptight, and, and get the body to completely relax. 
That's what step three and step four are. So if you put a name on it, step three then is? Is to understand the body, to train oneself while breathing in and breathing out to understand the body. And then and step four is, four is while breathing in, pacify the body. And while breathing out, mindfully breathing out, relax the body. Okay. So if you're not relaxed, pacify. you're not going to have sukha. If the body is not relaxed, you have to have the body relaxed also. So there is these things work together. And what is the difference between pacifying and relaxing? I was just being poetic. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, then it makes sense. Um, so actually, my uh, question would then be: uh, Sometimes you have feelings in your body that you cannot relax away, like knee pain, for example. Like what, uh, for example? So, uh, knee pain. Huh? Knee pain? Knee, yeah, or back pain. Oh, certainly. There's a very, very good cure for that. Easy, easy peasy. Dead easy, in fact. Whatever you're doing that's causing the knee pain, stop doing that. And mostly the kind of stuff that you're talking about is the stuff that, that meditators who are meditating wrongly do. And the body tells them, hey, you're doing this wrong. And all you want to do is get rid of the pain, kill the messenger instead of listening to what the messenger is telling you to do. What you so need you to would... do with the knee pain is to just stretch your legs out, get them moving again. You're not used to sitting that way. You, this whole thing is about comfort. So go so far as to maintain comfort and don't even go anywhere near that kind of level of pain. As soon as the, uh, the knees become uh, stressed out even a little bit, then adjust your posture. Okay. Even if you need to stand up. Go no. scratch your back or rub it against the wall. Do what you need to do to get the back back into uh, a homeostasis, back into a feeling of everything is okay. Because without the body being relaxed the way that we're talking about, there's no more, no further progress to be made. We need the body to be a full on teammate with the mind in order to start working with these feelings. So we've got to have the body and the reality of the body together and in sync with the mind in order to take on that attack of getting the body to actually feel and the mind to actually feel through the feelings of, I am safe. Oh, finally, I feel safe. Finally, I can nurture. No more criticizing. Can actually feel safe. To actually feel comfortable. We're not going to feel comfortable if the body is already screaming, uncomfort, uncomfort, knee pain, look at the knees, right? <laughs> right. So yeah, in, that way, in that way, we're fighting against ourselves. We're still a crowd inside. And we need to get things together. We need to get it on the same page. We need to get some congruency here. 
So the body becoming comfortable is a major aspect to the practice. And it's right there in the suttas and all these Westerners keep practicing to the point of pain. I just don't get it. <laughs> well, to be fair, like uh, my long sits, my strong determination sits from Goenka. Uh, you yeah, can't they... blame this on Goenka. <laughs> oh, no, but they actually really helped me because now I can sit for a very long period without having any discomfort. Well, that's finally because you've got your legs into it. But the question is, did you have to put yourself through such discomfort? Ah, uh, okay, because you train yourself anyway. Yeah, because you so you're going to train yourself anyway, but you give your body a break. Okay, so let me yeah. tell you about um, equestrian training. Equestrian is a word out of the Latin for horse. And basically, it's the difference between how horses are trained in Eastern Europe and how they're trained by cowboys in the, in the West of the U.S., right? How do they train the, cow, uh, the, the horses in Oklahoma? They put them in a corral that's probably about, oh, maybe 30 feet by 30 feet into a, a, a corral where the horse is boxed in. Somebody goes in there and throws a rope on the horse's neck and, and grabs him and pulls him against his will. And then somebody will throw a great big saddle, a heavy saddle on, and the horse kicks with that. But eventually they'll put the biggest, toughest, hardest riding rider on that horse, and he's going to teach that horse a lesson. And they do that for about seven days until the horse finally settles down. And then there is Eastern Europe. And what they do there is they have a great big barn, a huge, huge barn, much, much bigger than that corral. And they put the horse in that big, big barn and let him stay there for a while until he gets used to the place. And then the guy, the trainer, comes out and offers the horse an apple. And finally the horse will come for the apple and then the trainer will leave. And then he comes back the next day with another apple, or maybe a few hours later. And then the next day he comes in wearing a saddle on his shoulder, the trainer. And he's showing it off to the horse while he gives the horse a, a, a carrot or a banana or an apple or something and shows this, uh, this off. And let the horse sniff it and look at it and turn it upside down. You like this? And would you like it? And so he takes and he puts it on the horse and lets the horse get used to it for a little while. And then he takes the saddle off, puts it back on his shoulder and walks off. All of this happens in about two or three days. And finally, we've got the horse cinched and we've got a bridle. So we've got yeah. the saddle on and we've got the bridle on it. And so the next thing we do is we bring a young teenager who was already well skilled at doing this as part of the team, a young or small person, and introduces this person, this little guy, to the horse. They make friends. Everything is nuzzly cuzzly. And then the trainer will take and put this child on the horse to see the horse's reaction. And within seven days, they've got a better trained horse than they do with the cowboys jumping on their horse. Now, how are you going to practice meditation? 
Are you going to be practicing cowboy style? Or are you going to be practicing it the way that uh, uh, the equestrian trainers can get these trick ponies operating? Well, that's a very good question because uh, I thought to myself when I first called with you, I'm probably going to be so stubborn that I'm going <laughs> to practice my own way till I get sick and tired of it and then listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. so it, it looks it looks like you're slightly winning i'm i'm more and more admitting that maybe it's a better way to practice so we'll see about that well, that's the, the honest answer that's the whole question is will you see about it or will you continue not seeing about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's uh, Are you okay, going to relinquish your old way of doing it so that you can actually see this new practice of being kind and gentle to yourself, train yourself with with uh, with joy, forgiving yourself for the problems that you've done, treat your knees well, <laughs> give yourself yeah. a mental apple from time to time. Like with each breath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, one thing that I've been, been doing uh, now is um, I was noticing that I was thinking, oh, I have to do oh, I have to do 30 minutes more or whatever. And instead of that, I'm just saying, oh, just this neck breath. Uh, I'm just going to observe this next breath. And it's working quite well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't yeah, worry about the clock. You can say, well, I can at least handle it right now. I'll worry about not handling it later. Right now, I can handle it just fine. Right, right. But my question then would be, uh, and now I think I've kind of lost it. Oh, no. <laughs> it's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, let's say... Uh, okay, I'm planning on going to a retreat at Watson Monk. But you say to be gentle with yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of these retreats have pretty intense schedules. So you're bound I would to recommend be... you look into Deepable One also. You think it's a, a better uh, place to practice than uh, Watson Monk? Uh... They're different, and one should do both of them, but the order that I would recommend is whichever place that Achan Po is, and he's normally at Deepapawan. So go for the retreat and stay for Achan Po is basically what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah, be, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. But how do I know if Achan Po is going to be there? I actually... He, he he does. He travels, but if you go to either Deep of Bawana or Watch Suan Mok and wait for him, he'll show up. Okay, Don't, but if I do a retreat, then uh, yeah. Yeah, sign up for the retreats. Okay, so I just if he if he's there, he will show up in the retreat. Okay. And for Deepa Bhavan, you have two types of practice. You can do either half an hour 
walk uh, uh, half an hour sitting and then a period of walking or you can do 45 minutes of sitting. I think that they've got both of those things built into the schedule. I don't know exactly what's going on there. Oh, but, but what they would you always like give the instructions that if you've got body pain to go ahead and move. That this is not a contest. This is about comfort. And see, the problem with the many people failing at these retreats is because they never learn to be comfortable and learn to hang out. They're always expecting there uh, that, in fact, in the Goenka, he actually teaches the students, you got to work hard. You got to <laughs> work hard. Have you ever heard that? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, and I worked very hard. I was in agony for days. Mm hmm. <laughs> Yeah, like my well, he was actually not he wasn't skilled enough to recognize that there are some Indian groups that that's the best thing that you got to tell them because they're very lackadaisical. It would be in fact, that would be the instructions for very young children. Also, if you're going to teach meditation, you got to pay attention. You got to get the kids attention over and over again. But here what he really had was a bunch of old uh, or, or middle aged um mostly Jane women, because he, like Rajneesh, was Jane. And that work hard ethic came because these people would not put down their trinkets. They wouldn't put down their bells. They wouldn't put down their malas. They kept playing with all of this <laughs> stuff, frustrating Goanka no end. And so this is where that mentality came from, because he wasn't in, he, he wasn't being overwhelmed and visited by Westerners yet. And so he yeah. developed his pattern before he found out that these Westerners are already working too hard. <laughs> and that's why you need a teacher instead of a, a video recording. Right, exactly, exactly. Ah, okay. Ah, that's interesting. All right. That even well, I think there's a translation of it in the, uh, the Mahaparibhanabhana Sutta, number 16 in the Dinganakaya, there is a phrase about uh, Buddha's last advice to people, and that is strive diligently. That's a really, really bad translation. The actual words that he's using is persist which is the same thing that I keep harping on, repeating it over and over and over again. You got to persist. You got to keep doing this over and over and over again. But the yeah. Western mind changes persist into strive. Yeah. So when I'm at a, at a retreat at Deepabhavan, then I, I have to persist, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to like it. Uh, all the time. Well, that's your choice. Yeah, and that's okay, the whole okay. point is to figure out that you've got a choice here about how you're going to feel about it. Whether you do it or not is a different issue. But uh, I mean, I can be satisfied with negative feelings present. Uh, you're saying that you can be satisfied with being dissatisfied. Well, I mean, I can. Is that uh, a I catch can, 22? Can, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, when you started, okay, okay. All right. So maybe so, that we can have the first thought is the thought of I don't like it. 
And then the second thought would be, I can handle this. Never mind. I don't like it, but I can I can right. take care of business anyway. But yeah, guess what? Exactly you have what just mean. changed it. I don't like it from an unwholesome thought into I can handle this anyway is a wholesome thought. Yeah. Well, what I'm getting at is that <laughs> during my retreat here, uh, I was thinking of you that you said, yeah, don't don't push yourself. But the result of that is that maybe I become a bit lazy. And Congratulations. When you actually learn what laziness is all about, you'll like it a lot. Yeah. It's okay to be lazy. And laziness comes when the job is finished. The, the example you... that I use with this is, just listen carefully now. The example that I use is imagine that you've been picking cotton all day long. It's gotten hot in the sunshine and we're still out there picking cotton. And finally, the sun is going down to the point that the uh, uh, the ranch hand or the uh, uh, boss or overseer uh, heralds out quitting time. And then the guy, the slave who is picking the cotton, what he does is he sits down on that cotton bale that he's half full and takes a sigh of relief. The work is done now. Okay. And you need to develop that feeling of being done now. The day has been finished. The work that needed to be done has been done. You fulfilled all of your requirements. And yeah. see, you still are in the position that you've got work to do. You've got to fulfill the requirements. You've got a place to go and something to do. And the answer to that is, is that, well, how are you going to feel when you get all of that done? And start feeling that way now and leave it undone and feel like it is done anyway. At least for right now. I'll wait and do all okay. of that hard work of meditation later. Right now, I'm going to enjoy the heck out of what meditation I've got. Yeah, so why would I go to Deepa Bhavan? Because the work is done. Uh, because there's good in teachings, good instructions, a whole lot of stuff that would be good for you. Educational-wise. Yeah. Letting go of this also. But you could also go to uh, to Dom Kim. You could go to Watsu and Mok. You can go to the International Dhamma Hermitage. We've got two places to go, three on this island. That in fact, uh, the door the down, the door is wide open for people like you to go stay at the, uh, at uh, Wat Kautam again. We, there's two monks that are staying there now. And it's a big Wat. They've got plenty of room for you. And they would love to have you as a new toy to play with. <laughs> and where is that? Oh, on the island. It's a two kilometers from here. And what about the the what in Chiang Mai? Is that, is that a good what? Did you go there? No, I didn't. You were there though. Oh yeah, no, no, I was at Wat Lampung. Which is a Mahasi uh, center. I was pretty much next to the the other Wat. Yeah. So uh, there is a Wat in Chiang Mai that is part of the uh, Buddha Dasa network, and they do retreats there also. Yeah. 
So Achan Poe's been busy with these retreats over the past 40 years. He's got set up four or five centers now. But uh, you don't have any experience with the, the center up north. Uh, actually, Marcus has. Marcus has been there, done retreats there, et cetera, like that. And I've heard back from him. Yeah. Okay, I will ask him and uh, see what his uh, opinion is. Okay. Uh, well, um, the, the one thing that I recommend to all the students is come spend some time with Achan Po. Have some private time with him, talk to him, tell him what you're thinking about. See what he recommends. Yeah. Yeah, and he's pretty old, right? So, uh, 90, 93. 93? Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, then I better get, yeah, okay, then, uh, okay. Yeah, I will go to the south and, uh, and see him then. That's a yes, good idea. Deep, deep of the one. Well, we can talk about, uh, look at it on the web they've got a web page and look at the yeah. the map of Kosamui and that kind of stuff find out where it is if you want I, I can send you the maps you need I actually uh, re registered to do a retreat there uh, on the 11th mm -hmm. of November but I couldn't make it because of my visa run but um, yeah maybe next month uh, I will go there and uh, what do you mean visa run? Oh, yeah, I had to to leave the my visa expired for Thailand. So I actually just got back to Thailand. Okay. And they can be extended, even the tourist visas. All you have to do is walk into the visa office and they extend oh, them. I did that. Huh? But, uh, but I, I was already here for some time, so I couldn't extend it anymore. But now I've got till the 2nd of February, uh, so I've got plenty of time to do a lot of meditation, and then I can do another run. There's, um, so there's also an entire industry that does these visa runs, especially from the uh, tourist places like here on this island, Copangon. There's <clears throat> several lawyers and other visa offices that uh, take care of that stuff quite handily. Yeah, and there's even a monk visa, right? But uh, I I probably can't get that because yeah. So I, I'm well, it depends upon person. how it depends upon whether some beautiful upajaya nabs you or not. <laughs> then, yeah. in fact, I highly recommend now the guys to go check out uh, the Wadin Royette because the abbot there has all the qualities that we're looking for. He's number one, he's interested in Westerners and is willing to help him. And number two, he's worthy of paying attention to. Okay. Roy Ed. And uh, one more So he's, uh, he is actually another uh, budding Achan Po, if not already a full-blown Achan Po. <clears throat> and they're good great. friends on that regard, too. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. And what about the weather? Like... I can handle heat so badly. Like, how's the weather down south? Right uh, it depends upon where you are. Here on the islands, obviously, we have island weather. And that would mean? 
Sometimes it rains really hard, and sometimes it's just beautiful all the time. And sometimes it gets really hot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, even here uh, in the mountains, uh, like, uh, much higher than Chiang Mai, I, I still, it gets really hot for me. But I guess I just have to get comfortable with that. Uh, yeah, and, you uh, can. You know how? Yeah. By changing your attitude. Of it's hot right now, but I can handle that. Oh, uh, this is a nice sauna. Oh. <laughs> yeah, this is a nice sauna. And also the Thais have a way of taking care of it. This is old and traditional, and it has to do with the kind of place that we live. And that is, is that they go and take a bath. Bathing, bathing on the, in the afternoon is uh, frequent. So go oh, take yeah, a bath. Hey, what's on Moke? You have the hot springs, right? Uh, at the International Dhamma Hermitage, we have uh, hot springs. But if you're hot, why go to a hot spring? That makes no sense. <laughs> well, <laughs> go actually, take a cold shower. <laughs> if your skin is very hot, then it forces your internal body temperature to cool down uh, in order to cool down. I I don't know about that particular physics, but anyway, okay, well, let's go ahead and finish this call because I've got a couple yeah. of other people waiting, and uh, this we'll... has been great. <laughs> All right, so we'll see you yeah. later. Yeah. All right. I only have one hand. The other one has my phone. But uh, thank you, Demarado. No problem. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye.